the Business and Leadership Podcast with Jared Graybeal. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business and Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Jared Graybeal. And on today's episode, I have Nick Marks. Nick is an independent policy advisor, a speaker, statistician, and author. And he's also the founder and CEO of Friday Pulse, which is a company that scores happiness using research and insights from behavioral psychology and systems thinking. Nick also gave a TED Talk on the Happiness Index, which has almost two and a half million views, and I highly recommend checking it out. I'm super interested in having this talk today, Nick. Thanks for being on the show. That's great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So, Nick, um, I know that you work in the field of happiness, well-being, and quality of life for over 25 years. What got you into that? So, I, I, I'm an applied statistician. And um, when I left university, I went and did a bit of consultancy work like you do. And then I, I thought, really, I'd like to use my statistics a bit more. So, I started doing health statistics. And I've always wanted to be useful. If that's so I sort of got interested in, you know, people's, you know, health and then their quality of life experience. And it's sort of I mean, I'd love to say it was all well thought out. It was a random walk, really. You know, you just sort of you you take the next job, you do it, you get interested in it. And then I eventually joined a think tank in London in year two thousand and one and set up their program on well being and how to measure. And it sort of it all moved on from there. Okay. Was there something that happened in your life to where you said, Okay, like you, you were a statistician first, I'm assuming, and then you sort of transitioned to focusing on happiness and well-being. Was there something that happened maybe personally or professionally that inspired this particular uh, lane? Yeah, in the sense in that I, I am a statistician, but my mother was a family therapist. And so I trained as a therapist in my 20s as well. So I kind of had these two very different sides to me of hard statistics and sort of soft people skills. And so I guess I just ended up merging them. And, it, and it, you know, and in fact, definitely my therapy, I don't work as a therapist now, but definitely my therapeutic training has influenced the way I think about statistics even. And also the subjects, you know, I, I think that how we live our life and doing things that are useful for people living better lives is kind of my, my thing, really. Yeah, I love that. And that's such an interesting duality um, to combine. So what's the story behind Friday Pulse? Because I know that you this is relatively new to your journey, right? Like you were in 2001, you were a part of the think tank. And so you've gone on to start Friday Pulse. What's the story behind that? Yeah, so I, I, I had a very successful, I don't even know what you call that decade, but 2000 to 2010, what do you call it? The noughties, whatever, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. um, uh, um, I had a successful sec, uh, you know, uh, uh, decade and, and, it, and it bookended with my TED Talk in 2010. Yeah. And, and you kind of stand up there on the TED stage and, you, you know, you're getting this applause and, and you think, oh, God, this is like, this is the peak, yeah? And then over the next few months, you start to crash down thinking, well, it was just a talk. Yeah. <laughs> it still rumbles on with people watching it. I, I'm very proud of it, but it doesn't actually change the world. It's a talk. And so I th started thinking about, actually, how could I do something with more impact? And I was already well aware that the, the sort of, Activity that people enjoy the least is work. Uh, I mean, not quite, but you know, they they enjoy they 
the commute to work is even less enjoyable yeah. and <laughs> and and going to the doctors is pretty bad too but, but basically the big activity we do in life and so if i'm serious about making the world happier which is kind of my mantra um then maybe work was the place to work and so over the next few years i started to develop tools about thinking about how businesses could uh promote happier workplaces with always the idea that there's a real alignment here that we know that when people are happy at work they're more likely to be creative productive innovative they stay longer so there's a real win-win in here it's good for the individual it's good for the team they work with it's good for the organization in fact i would even go as far as it's good for society so um so in that way, that's what I was looking for. And that's what I try and do with Friday Pulse is align those interests, uh, but with the measurement as the core element of it. I love that. I, I would imagine, and this is just an assumption, that as a statistician, you probably lean more towards pragmatism. And so, quote unquote, having a mission of making the world happier um, comes down to execution, right? And you got to ultimately maybe start a business to do that, right? And I love that. Um, and again, for the audience, you're the founder and CEO of Friday Pulse, um, which is a company that scores happiness using research and insights from behavioral psychology and systems thinking. So how, let me actually back up. How do you define happiness? What is happy um, to you as a statistician and a founder of this company? So let, let's take just happiness generally rather than at work. And then, so happiness, we, we use the word in the English language quite flexibly. So we can use it as an emotion, I feel happy, and we can use it as what we would call a cognitive reflection, you know, I'm happy about that. And then it's more of a judgment rather than a feeling. And um, and so when I think about happiness, I think about both of those two things. And really what it comes down to is a bit about pleasure, about how I feel, uh, and whether I feel good. And then it's also about whether I'm doing things that I feel are meaningful, fulfilling, contributing. So it's in a way, it's sort of what I receive and what I give. And there's a tension between those sometimes. And so, you know, some people talk about it as pleasure and meaning um, that goes right back to ancient Greece, hedonists and eudaimonists. Uh, you know, they had different feelings about, about how you should think about happiness. And, and we still have that debate today. You know, you, you'll see people say, oh, you shouldn't think about happiness. You should think about meaning. I think you should think about both. Uh, and, uh, and they're both, you know, one's nourishing and one's fulfilling. So, you know, you need, you need both of those things in life. So in that sense, happiness is, is, is multidimensional. But when I get down to it at work, I'm really more interested in how people are feeling on a weekly basis, on a daily weekly basis, because that's what's going to drive their uh, good performance now. And then also it's highly predictive performance of the future, because when people feel good, even if they have a setback, they bounce back better. So therefore, you know, it's, it's both now it's going to have an effect and the next few months. So in that sense, I think about happiness at work more as about how people are experiencing it now. Got it. And I love, you know, it makes me think, uh, I'm a Christian. So my worldview is based off of, of, off of that, uh, belief system yeah. and as Christians sort of the belief is, um, we're put here for a purpose and that purpose may or may not be happiness. Yeah. So, you know, it's sort of nihilistic in a way, but again, if you pursue God's purpose for your life, ultimately you should be fulfilled, which should lead to happiness. And that's one worldview, right? It's just mine. Yeah. So, you know, you look at the ancient Stoics and you kind of, alluded to it but like they wanted tranquility mm. right and so and of course they were in just another worldview back then and you mentioned a couple of the other ones where you know pleasure was like the i think the hedonist solely wanted pleasure and and of course that seems like a double-edged sword and and so it's interesting 
to pursue happiness as this balance of pleasure and fulfillment. Um, the, there's a big emphasis on mental health and there was prior to COVID, but even more so now. And so I like this idea of pursuing happiness in the workplace. Cause it reminds me of this adage from like elementary school, like shoot for the moon. And if anything, you'll land on the stars or something like that. Right. And so if we aim to make the workplace happy at the very least, they should be mentally healthy. You know, yeah. um, if we set the goal of like, let's make the workplace mentally healthy, they may never be happy because we might be setting the bar too low. And that was just a thought that I had and not necessarily a question. Um, Can I comment on it? Cause it, you're actually statistically right about when you read a population. So when we look at data on a population, it often creates a normal distribution or a bell curve. And I'm, and in a sense at the, at the lower end of that bell curve is um, mental ill health. You know, it's, it's a tail of that curve. If you shift the whole population mean up, you reduce the tail. And so there's a way that by promoting positive mental health, which is what you could call happiness and well-being, you are you are very likely to reduce mental distress too. Yeah. So they do go together. That's it's really interesting. And you know, um, how for you do you measure happiness? How is that? Because I'm a again, I'm I'm in the same wave, wavelength in terms of practicality and like I'm a quantifiable guy, like measure it for me and I'll believe you. Um, so how do you do that with happiness? So there are definitely different methodologies that people use. And uh, I, I favor a methodology which is called uh, episodal measurement, which is basically when you get to the end of an episode and you look back and you you think uh, whether that, uh, so you rate that. So we could do it as coming out of a movie, coming out of a theater experience. How was it, you know? And so the way that uh, there are other methodologies, some people do something called experience sampling where they bleep you and they basically build up a pattern over that. Some people do what they call an evaluation, which is basically like an old staff survey where once a year you ask people to rate things overall. Uh, mine is in between, which is we ask weekly. At the end of a week, we ask people, how was their week? And we say, how happy were you this week? And what that gives you is a more dynamic measure because it goes up and down. And, and that's reality. You know, when I'm talking about happiness at work, I'm not saying we need to be happy, clappy all the time. There's a serious element to this. You know, you can talk about curiosity and interest being part of happiness. You can talk about um, inspiration and awe as being part of happiness. These positive emotions that actually, you know, help us do great work. So um, in that sense, um, I, I like to measure it weekly. So what we do at Friday Pulse is at the end of every week, ask people how, how happy were you this week? But there are other methodologies which include um, doing sort of more deeper dives. So I don't know if you've ever done one of those sort of personality tests, which are deep oh. dive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're fun. And actually, they're like a mirror, aren't they? They basically, we do them and then we see ourselves in them. Um, and and so there's a space for that about happiness at work. And as I was saying to you, you know, pre-show, we've developed something called Friday One, which is for people to go themselves, to go and uh, think about their own happiness at work. And that's a you know, if I just asked you how happy were you at work this week, and then I told you, you said you're happy, and I say, well, you're happy at work, that doesn't really reveal anything to you. You've just told me. So what we do is we do a more deeper dive into looking at what the drivers of happiness are, and we're trying to help you make better decisions about your work, how you can how you can uh, reflect on that. So in that sense, I sometimes think of it as like a mirror, but also a window in that it's showing you where you could be as well as where you are. 
And, mm. and so there are different spaces with, you know, different methodologies have different strengths. Uh, but for our clients at Friday Pass, we do the weekly because then it gives senior leaders, leaders real-time data on how their teams are feeling. Uh, and, and that's actually really critical to them as, as they face challenges of, you know, delivering whatever it is they're delivering. So Friday Pulse and Friday One, you know, Friday Pulse is this sort of organizational piece yeah. um, and the founding, I guess, platform. And then Friday One is the individual sort of test. Um, yeah. Once they get the results, you know, what are, what's an example of how they, okay, it says you're unhappy, generally. What's one thing that it's going to tell you to do? Is it going to have an action plan based off of the response or... So if we're talking about the individual one, then basically it produces a nice report for you and it will show you the different dimensions that we, so we basically have five, we could talk about the five ways to happiness, positivity at work, and they are connect, be fair, empower, challenge, inspire. Mm. And we give you a score on each of those and we basically help you to reflect. So maybe your, your challenge is, is low. So those will be things about your learning, your creativity, and it's sort of, ask you to reflect on you know how those things could be better for you in your current role i mean obviously some people might need to switch role as well but that we, we use the questions to prompt to sort of signpost the the known routes towards uh, better experiences so in that one we, we we do that in that way but i'm very very keen and in fact this is the sort of therapist part of me in the sense that you know that there's a that measurement is is a is opens a door for you. It, it gets you into a space, but reality really it's the conversations. It's the reflection. It's the coming into awareness, which actually create the positive change. So with individuals, it's sort of like a, you know, do the test, have a report, have a sit down with a cup of tea, coffee, whatever you want. And, um, and, you know, have a reflect when we're in the business context, then we, it's very important that if you ask weekly, that there is some weekly actions going on. Otherwise, you know, week four people aren't going to give you an answer because it's like interest so we 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 basically work with the team and i think teams are really interesting uh, groups in organizations and there and we empower teams to have a little conversation every week about how last week was so we the way our platform works is we ask people how happy they were we ask them have you got a success to share from this week do you want to thank anybody you've got a frustration an idea and those will go in the pot and then we package them up into a team meeting from Monday morning that the team leader can just open it up and have a great conversation with their team about last week. And the idea is that little by little, you know, the repeated action of it is what creates the change and what builds what Amy Edmondson or Google will call psychological safety. You have, you have deeper, more, not deeper. Yeah. Sometimes deeper, uh, but more authentic conversations every week, then, you know, you're going to build together uh, towards a better future. Yeah. Have you read or listened or heard anything about like the Netflix culture? Oh, well, it was, I mean, I, I know it from like 10, 15 years ago when there was the very famous PowerPoint that went round and that amazing woman, what was she called? Uh, Patty McCord, who was the yeah. HR lead. I've met her a few times. She's brilliant. Yeah. They, um, ironically, I just finished the book, which is no rules rules. And it's sort of like their playbook for how they run the organization. And one of the biggest things is like, open feedback loops, which is basically just authentic conversation every single day throughout the entire organization. Yeah. Um, and so I, I thought that was uh, really, really interesting because I'm, I'm not, you know, I, as a person who's super comfortable with being honest and open and communicative, 
you realize not everybody is that way. Not everybody was raised that way. And that can lead to unhappiness at work because we communicate differently. Um, yeah. People just don't communicate, right? So if you can open those lines of communication up, it allows people uh, the opportunity to, to man- not manipulate, to create a workplace that they like to be at, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and in a sense, that language of open feedback loops is comes from, well, for me, comes from system thinking, comes from the idea that, you know, if you've got a complex system, the way a system learns is by a feedback loop. So in a sense, our whole platforms are feedback loops. They're learning feedback loops. We have a the one that's a weekly. We also have the more a more longer term sort of orthodox staff survey one, which is more quarterly and a bit more strategic. But the weekly one is picking up on all those things every day. Yeah. The the, the test, whether it's Friday Pulse or Friday One, um, is there like a grading scale to say? So, for example, I do something. I journal every day, a little bit in the morning and a little bit at night, and I try to live in retrospect of the day to day that way I can look back on the week and I already know and I'm I'm weird like that but um it's contributed a lot to my mental health and quality of life but I'll grade my day in a certain way and I think Jim Collins does the same thing um pluses and minuses and it adds either to plus two or negative two and he can look back <laughs> and say okay I need to make a change. Does it do that something like that? Does it grade you and say okay well clearly you're unhappy in these areas and maybe happy in these areas if you can do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we grade pretty much like that. We don't do, we, we use, um, five point scale. So in a way, minus two to plus two with zero is the middle one. We, we use one to five, but we also grade them in colors, reds, oranges, yellows, greens. So because, you know, I'm quite numeric, but quite a lot of people more color based. So we really traffic light it. And, and that's a really good methodology. And, and, and about five points is about, so I'm a statistician, so I can get quite nerdy about response scales and all sorts of things. I don't like naught to 10. So I don't know if you've ever seen net promoter score, which is naught to 10. And if you have lots of naught to 10 scales, people get very confused. Are they seven or the eight or this? And whereas naught to five, we're, we're really quite comfortable with. So I think it's about the level that we, we grade things in some ways intuitively. So so that's that's a really good way. And if you're doing that daily, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I've experimented with daily at work. And the problem is most people won't answer daily. It's um, too much for a lot of people. Yeah. I think if you were like working in a coffee shop and you were checking out at the end of your shift and as you put your, you know, your, your thing in the till to check out, if it asked you whether you had a good day then or there, that would be great. Yeah. You get really good data that way. But for most of us who are on email in, or in an office-based uh, sort of work, desk-based work, then that's too much. We're not going to remember to at the end of a week, we're doing. Yeah. I agree. So where does, you know, obviously I'm a fitness guy. Does nutrition, sleep, um, exercise, does this stuff play a part in how you, I guess, prescribe happier workplaces, how you work with teams and stuff throughout organizations? So we don't get into that space, but, you know, it's absolutely related to a happiness space. So, I mean, particularly physical exercise and sleep. Uh, Nutrition uh, certainly does to an extent too, um, but the evidence on exercise is huge um but it's not a it's not a linear relationship it's uh it's an optimal relate well it's not even an optimal but it's it's you know i i mean in the states i think it's similar to the uk you know where a third of people hardly get off the couch you know um it's it's a very and and moving i mean moving is 
we're designed to move humans for goodness sure. sake you know we, we're, we're an ape that you know that sort of you know that evolved you know to live and to move and emotions and move they're about moving they're about they you know our emotions help us act in the world so if we sit the whole time then that's clearly problematic and it's problematic for our mental health as well as our physical health um so so exercise is very related what you have by the way, is over-exercise can be related to anxiety. And it's not that the over-exercise is driving anxiety, it's the anxious over-exercise. Um, it tend, well, that tends to be the causality of it. Um, so, um, and then uh, sleep, you know, and there's lots and lots of evidence about sleep, you know, that we need to get enough. And of course, people don't with sleep-deprived. Um, a lot of people are sleep-deprived. I'm not at all sleep-deprived. I sleep well and I like sleeping. And, and uh, I, you know, I read in bed and then my eyes go and then, bah, bah, yeah. And I'm a seven-hour, eight-hour night guy. Um, but, um, but you know, when people get sleep-deprived, everything goes out the window. And, and you, have you got kids? I don't. Okay. You'll really know the, the meaning of the word tiredness when you have a child. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like they you know, they disrupt you so much. I mean, I, you know, I remember the f- my first child being born a long time ago. He's, he's 27 this week. Anyway, um, he, you know, going to a, a supermarket and, and, you know, just feeling like having a tantrum because I was just so overtired, you know, and I just thought it was crazy. So sleep is massively related to it. And nutrition too, um, uh, more and more evidence comes out about it. There's very subtle nutrition sometimes, you know, in that you can go quite a long time on a pretty poor diet and not feel unhappy, and then it starts catching up with you. Yeah. Um, and and I think there's and, and actually there's some surprising things like, you know, uh, veganism. You have to be really careful with your vitamins and minerals because do you get enough? And there's links between veganism and some forms of depression because uh, and anxiety because you're not getting. And it's it's not. The problem with the veganism is the problem you're not getting enough vitamins and minerals. Yeah. And then, um, but, you know, even worse is obviously uh, a diet that I followed pretty much for 20 years of um, alcohol and burgers. (laughs) That'll catch up on you. No, I'm teasing, but I mean, um, what about money? You know, I, I read a long time ago, and there was a graphic sort of like a bell curve that you mentioned earlier to happiness. And it was, you know, the optimal income and this is maybe in the States was around 75 K. Yeah. After that, you begin to try to fit in with the people that make hundred K 200 K and your happiness goes down. But there was this curve and this is a couple of years ago where 75 K was like the optimal single family income. Um, is that something that you guys talk about in, in happiness at work? Um, so not happiness at work, but um, a fair pay, absolutely comes into it so much more than uh, actual level of pay it's whether you feel you're paid appropriately um, and that's obviously a quite a lot of peer comparison so in an organization i think you have to be very clear about how you reward people how people get promotions uh, and, and what they're related to um, but in the general happiness research then it it, it doesn't peak at 70 75000 it basically the curve has an inflection where it that the 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 there's no more benefits really but it's um but it is slightly different depending on how you do it but particularly emotional based measures show that very strongly and when people get very rich they start getting anxious about losing their money they start getting anxious they haven't got you know we're all anxious about not earning as much as your brother-in-law i used to say you know i think what's your comparator you know it's not uh I mean, you, you know him in the States too. It's not David Beckham, I used to say. Um, you know, you're comparing to Elon Musk. We, we understand that 
but you, we do compare ourselves to members of our family and members, our friends that do better. And, it, and it's quite hard, actually, when a friend does super well. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's not we don't want it for them. We want it for us. And then we get, you know, so so those sort of upward comparisons are very strong. We very rarely downward comparison. It's not, not very good at going, oh, these people are much poorer than us. And we, we should be we should be grateful for that. We're much easier for us to do an upward comparison and go, poor me. And that's a negativity bias in us, a, a bias that we have within us. So uh, money does matter to an extent um, with pay. Most people would like a 20 percent pay rise. When they've got it, they adjust quite quickly to it and then think about another one. So it's difficult for us to feel satiated with money is one of the problems. So, um, yeah, it's difficult to know enough. I think as we get older, we have more of a feeling of enough. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. Yeah, I think they call it hedonistic adaptation. Yeah, sometimes called the hedonic treadmill. But, yeah, absolutely. So, And it's particularly to financial things. So you can always think about having another bigger holiday or a bigger car or a better house or whatever. When you've got, you know, with both men, so I'll say it this way. So when you've got a wife you're happy with, you don't want a second wife. But when you've got a car you're happy with, you can want a second car. So there's something that we don't, we, we, we feel enough in relationship. We don't feel enough with things. And, and, and actually it's a trick. It's a trick because of course we used to live in a, resource scarce world our, our brains are hardwired like that and actually one of the things we can do as we as we mature is really understand what enough is that's a, a useful thing for us to come to understanding on so you mentioned it earlier but what are the five ways that we can increase happiness at work yeah so uh, we call them connect um connect be fair empower challenge inspire and it's not exactly new science you know you can see maslow in there you can see daniel pink you know he talks about autonomy mastery purpose that's the same as empower challenge inspire but uh we frame them in a way that is um more leaning into action so they're easier to act on which if i say you to a manager you should, your team should be more autonomous you know it's a struggle you say empower them well, okay what's that mean it means delegate it means you know let them use their strengths you know um you know draw things out of them they understand it more challenge yeah, you know, people like stretch. I mean, if you challenge them too much, they go in stress. But there's, you know, there's a there's a sweet spot there. Inspire them is about, you know, like, you know, tell them the bigger picture. Tell them why we do this work. You know, give them a sense of accomplishment. And then, you know, being fair is a critical thing. The systemic justice, you know, that we feel like we're respected, that we feel like are outside of our life, our work-life balance is respected. These are important things. And of course, the foundations of all things well-being and happiness is relationships and who we get on with. I mean. The old adage that we, you know, we join a company, we leave a manager is about relationships and, and, uh, and relationships is often why we leave a company. That's great. Um, so Friday Pulse, is there, can you be, do you have to have a company of a certain size or can you have 10 employees? Does it have to be 500? How does that work? Yeah. So we have a, a startup product, which is for sort of five to 50 people, uh, which is a sort of credit card, put it in, pay for a month. Um, and then over 50 people, uh we we work with you a bit more we we you know we we give you some free consultancy about how to do it things like that so we have sort of different packages but um uh we we are definitely more suited to smes as in up to a thousand people rather than huge companies yeah uh, we do have one or two clients over a thousand but not many but mainly we're in the, we're in the spot from 50 to 500 people that's exciting 
Now, your assistant sent me a few notes about the subjects that we can talk about. And one of them was, quote unquote, the future of happiness. What, what did she mean by that? Or at least what, what do you think of when I bring that up? Um, so there were big trends going on in the workplace, obviously. So we're seeing, obviously, work from home, uh, hybrid working, those sort of things. To me, you know, I, I don't know if this is going on in the States too, but um, David Solomon, who's head of Goldman Sachs, actually, I don't know if he's in the States or the UK, he came out and said, oh, we're all coming back to work, you know, as soon as COVID's over. We are this, you know. And and then you've got some of, you know, the Googles and uh, Facebook saying you can work from home till 2022. And then you've got others going, right, it's going to be two days a week. What's going to go on here? For me, it's an empirical question in the sense that there are wins and losses from working from home. And um, and I think most of a lot of people, particularly when they get to a certain age, like the flexibility. But we do appreciate we're missing people. You know, good, goodness me, we're missing people. I mean, I mean, COVID has been hard because, you know, we haven't been able to see people. We haven't been able to touch loved ones. That's very, very hard. You know, we're tactile creatures. So, um, but at work, you know, it's like you miss that banter. You miss that learning opportunity. You miss all these all these things. So uh, I think there'll be a balance is what I do. But I always think companies will choose different policies. But I, I don't think it's a one size fits all. I think it will be some 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 merge that. So that's one thing working out. But another is AI. I mean, what is AI going to do to work? You know, artificial intelligence. I mean, I read about it. I'm no way am I an expert, but um, it's it's going to challenge how how we work quite a lot. And um, uh, I think that that's a threat and an opportunity. I think it, it, the opportunity is that I think it can take away the work that's boring that's task-based, um, the threat is unemployment and also this continually increase in income inequality. So we have this sort of monopolistic trend with tech that basically tech seems to encourage monopolies and monopolies are very bad for wealth distribution. And I, it worries me where we're going to go as societies in those big long-term things. And I think that will undermine happiness at a societal level and possibly a work one. And I think we'll have to work hard to think about how we redistribute that wealth. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, our new attorney general in the United States, um, his favorite word is antitrust. So right. <laughs> whatever that means to you, right? Um, how big is Friday Pulse the company now? As a company now, we we are we are we're small. We're a startup, so we are twelve people, uh, and um, uh, we have a hundred or so clients. Awesome. Um, our our path is hopefully a growth one. <laughs> um, you know, and 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 um, you know, one of my challenges as a as a leader is that I'm a very natural um, creator of products. But um, growth paths are, are um, more challenging for me. But I do have a very good CRO, so she is uh, setting us on the right path. Yeah, that's um, great. That's really, my next question is like, you've got this happiness scoring company, um, yeah. and it's a for profit, right? Yeah. yeah. And so you have to be driven by a level of capitalism. And so, yeah. what is it like trying to grow a happiness scoring company? Is that stressful at times? Does that seem counterintuitive? How do you how do you deal with that balance? Well, I, I think being the founder see, of any company and being a leader in any business is has some stress. I, I don't think we should, I don't think we should worry about that. That that the inevitable. There's going to be some tension. There's going to be times that you you feel like um, it's impossible what you're doing. And other times you just think, oh, I'm rocking here. You know, that's that's kind of the way, or certainly certainly the, the way I am. But you know, data drives us. You know, data data drives us on where we are. And, and actually, 
what we're working with um, a few scale-up coaches who are who are who who consult to, to businesses scaling up, and they're starting to use Friday Pulse because they know one of the biggest risks in scaling up is culture, which is that if culture goes wrong, then you know businesses can't grow. So, um, and we we work with um, other consultants who are more on, on the sort of cultural side who, who use us as a measurement tool, and we sell directly to clients who who, who find out about us, and so you know. Part of the reason why you know um, you know I'm I'm wanting to be on podcasts and things like that is to is to promote one. I mean, my my personal passion is to promote the whole area, but clearly, um, if I want to achieve that, then actually the business has to scale. So, um, so that's that's our path at the moment, and uh, it's an exciting path. And we and we are. I mean, we doubled or tripled last year. You know, so we we just need to keep on going on with that. Really, we only launched Friday Pulse at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. Okay. Yeah. You guys are doing great. In your opinion, what do you think makes a great leader? If you were to maybe prescribe one to three character traits, what would they be? Um, I think that there's two big things that leaders at all levels of organizations, I think, need to be great at. And one of them is um, data. I just think I don't see how you can be a leader at the moment without having a good understanding of what your data is telling you. And the other thing I think it's be as great at is with people. So, <laughs> and I think that you know I, I think those are, those are two things. So when I so I think you have to be analytical. I think you have to be strategic. And I think you have to be uh, compassionate and uh, an understanding and um, and help and get the best out of your people. So um, so it's good strategy. And it's good culture. So uh, was it Peter Tucker who said, you know, uh, um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, and and he didn't mean you shouldn't have strategy. I, I, I'm assuming he didn't anyway. I don't know him. But I, I, to me, if you haven't got your culture right, you're not going to be implementing your strategy. You know, you're not going to be able to, to, to get that going. So you need the both of them. And so and I, I and I, you know, some business leaders are strategically brilliant and people terrible. Um, and I, I imagine there must be people the other way around as well but um they're not gonna have a business very long <laughs> um you know if you haven't got a good strategy you're not gonna have a business very long so for me it's always about having a happy productive team having a happy productive uh, organization you want both of those if if you're just focused on the business numbers you're gonna have a real problem with retention at the very least you know because you're gonna have people leaving you all the time if they're not happy um uh, if you just focus on happiness you'll be bankrupt pretty quickly yeah <laughs> Well, I, I think you would agree in order to, to build and to grow an organization that changes uh, the world, even if that's one pe- person or a billion people, um, you have to have a healthy balance of, of promoting happiness, but hard work. Um, yeah. Whether that's smart work, right? You might have a team of engineers or you might have manual labor. Is it really just relative to what you do? Um, but people got to put in the work to build, to build something. Persistence gets you a long way in this world. You know, there's, I mean, ideas are, are cheap. But execution and persistence, you know, and, and, you know, I, when, when I created the Happy Planet Index, which was 2006, my first quality of life indicator was 1994, 12 years of work to get to something that cut through. And, uh, and I would imagine that with my work on work, it's going to take some time to cut through. I'm very happy with the way we measure it. That took me six years to work out. You know, it doesn't come just like that, working out how to work. You, you really think it through. You think about how it can be used. And so, um, so I'm, I'm doing everything to persistently see through on, on 
I, I mean, I, I find myself, and, I, and it's strange saying that you agree with yourself or you're convinced of yourself, but I'm very convinced statistically that this is the way to measure employee experience. Um, and, 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 and that's a mission I have to go on now. I'm writing a book at the moment, you know, which will probably be out next year and, you know, and all of that sort of stuff towards that, because that, to me, that's what will cut through, you know, business, the language of business is numbers. So if we want people to take employee experience, happiness, team morale seriously, you've got to have the numbers nailed, in my opinion, for senior leaders to take it seriously or to understand, they, they do take it seriously, but it's like, they don't really quite know what's going on. It's too much is hidden. So what we do is we show what's going on so that you can act on it better. And, and I, to me, I'm very, very convinced about that as an idea. Um, otherwise I, I wouldn't be doing it. And I, I've been through three product platforms to get to Friday Pulse. And, and I mean, strangely in the second one, I went to pitch to Unilever, actually, so a huge organization. We were thinking we'd work with big corporates. And the guy gave me the feedback afterwards. He said, I really like it, but Nick, you're not confident enough of your product. And I thought, well, I'm not. So I threw it away and did another one. <laughs> and that's the value of the feedback loop. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Nick, I got a couple, I, we could call them rapid fire questions before I let you go today. One, what do you think the happiest company is? But I guess based off your research. Uh, it would be small. Um, so basically all of the data shows that smaller companies are happier than larger companies. So when they say Google is the happiest place to work, I always think that's rubbish. Uh, I mean, I'm not, nothing against Google, <laughs> you know, it's just that it won't be a huge company. It will be a small company somewhere where they are passionate about what they're doing. Uh, they get on really well as a team together, uh, and, and they're all using their strengths. You know, if you get those things right, that's going to be the happiest, the happiest place. They're going to be small, uh, mission-driven, uh, happy organization. I mean, happy as in good relationship organization. That, that's where it will be. So there, there will be lots of them, but they'll be under the radar. And the happiness country, do you, do you have any data on that? Yeah, so there's a World Happiness Report that comes out every year um, and it, it moves around and, and it doesn't move around for anything significant. It basically moves around because sort of some margin of statistical error but but basically they tend to be scandinavian so uh, sometimes it's finland sometimes norway sweden denmark uh, switzerland sometimes comes top uh, it'll be one of those countries and, and what's that about it's about um equality in the sense that they are rich countries but they have very strong uh, social safety networks and what drive what pulls down the mean of a whole country is basically the unhappiness of the lowest 25% in income in the population. So in a country like the US and the UK, where we have much higher income inequality, our poor are much less happy than the poor in Denmark, Sweden, Finland. Um, uh, uh, and Switzerland's a different case. They just don't let, they just don't let poor people in. Yeah. It's a slightly different mark, but it, you know, but in a sense, so, I mean, you know, um, so, um, but, but that, that's, the, that's the main big, big reason um, that they're happier. If you were to recommend a book or maybe two, three books, um, what, what would you recommend? What, what books come to mind? Oh, God. I mean, my, my, my problem is my reading is so wide. Um, and um, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, a book on, um, on happiness. But I really like uh, Marty Seligman's first book, Authentic Happiness. I actually like it more than his later ones. Um, so I think that's, that's very good. I get quite philosophical. I like Alain de Botin. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a philosopher that writes. Um, uh, he wrote something, a very good book called Constellations of Philosophy, which is basically 
the root of philosophy is about how to live a better life. And he goes back to the ancient Greeks and talks about all that. Um, and I, I actually really, really like books on emotional science. So I, I, there's two on emotions I've read recently. So uh, one is about human consciousness by Joseph uh, Ledoux. And the other one is uh, on emotions by um, um, Antonio Damasio. So they're my newer scientists that I really like. Um, they're, they're a bit obscure, but I mean, I like that stuff. <laughs> what is the best $100 purchase or less that you've made in the past six months? Um, I, I, I'd probably have to go with um, red wine. <laughs> I mean, as in lockdown, so painful that two glasses of red wine a night does me a lot of good. Um, I, 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 I'm not very good at spending money. I don't know how you are. I, I buy very few things. Books, books is always my thing. And books and wine, we'll take it. And a bit of red wine. <laughs> Last but not least, uh, Nick, if you could put anything on a big blank billboard on the busiest roadway or intersection that you can think of, what would it say? Wow, that is a question, isn't it? Um, uh, I think I, I would like to say something, and this is, is too too many words, but I, I think like what you do about every day is about about reflecting, which is which is to 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 celebrate positive things that have happened to you in your life. So it's why I think gratitude diaries work very well, very very well as an intervention focusing on the positive. All right. Nick, thanks again for being on the show. This was a pleasure for me to dig into what happiness looks like at work and individually as well. Um, what are some of the best ways for people to learn more about you and about your work? Yeah, so the, the, the way to experience my work is to go to fridayone.com. Take five minutes to fill in the questionnaire and it will give you a report on your own happiness at work. And you'll understand in that about how, what I'm trying to do, which is to get people to reflect on it. So I think that's the thing that you could do most to experience our work, but you can also go to fridaypulse.com. We've got a little video showing what we do there. And I have a personal website, nickmarks.org, which I blog on every fortnight, every month. So I write an article. Um, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. I always put things on LinkedIn. Okay. So those are the ways to find out. Yeah. Awesome. And I'll throw those links in the show notes. Again, Nick, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah. And uh, you'll have to let me know when that book comes out. But until next time, man, have a great day. Thanks very much.